The Parent Show is sponsored by Neve Solicitors. Neve Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neve Solicitors, your complete legal solution. A very warm welcome to The Parents Show on Radio Verilum 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia L. Curry. And I'm Cathy Weston. So uh, it's the time of the year. September's nearly done and we're still alive, Cathy. Are you? Just about. I'm not going to air my problems on radio, but quite frankly, this September has felt very, very long. I know. <laughs> I, I know what you mean. And I think I don't think we're the only parents to think to think that this September, it feels like it's been a bit of a roller coaster already, doesn't it? But at least the weather's great. You know, basically, you know, one minute you're buying your shoes and clerks. And I was, you know, the next thing, it's the middle of December. And I was actually reflecting on the fact that uh, my 13-year-old now has uh, size 10 and a half feet. So tonight we're really thinking about how do these children end up growing up and going off to university? Yeah, I mean, and I'd say it comes up on you so suddenly. You're kind of so focused on the day-to-day getting them to and from school, choosing GCSEs, next thing they're choosing A-levels and, and next thing you're packing up a car and sending them to university. That's right. And I think we're very keen on the parents show to, you know, forearmed is forewarned. Isn't that really the case? Absolutely. We want to know what is it we should be thinking about with younger children, but equally hearing from parents fresh from the experience is always really valuable. So our, um, you know, we know that our, our guests tonight are going to make an amazing contribution. And just to introduce them first, we've got Natalie Lancer. Hi, Natalie. Natalie is a very, very experienced uh, coach. She's one of the great gurus on Facebook who tries to help children for in all aspects of their application to university process. Uh, and also we have two parents here, uh, Dave and Carolyn, who are fresh from the experience of their children transitioning to university. So we're going to come to them very, very shortly. But I just wanted to reflect, Lydia, how many university students do you think were in our UK higher education institutions in 2017? I wouldn't even know where to begin. I wouldn't know where to guess. Yeah, so I happen to have the answer. (laughs) It's 2.34 million students studying at our UK higher education institutions. But behind those figures, behind all of those figures, lie some anxious parents, devoted parents, parents struggling to support their children in their choices, worrying about them, excited for them, preparing them for the new journey ahead. So there's a sort of a practical element, isn't there? To, to parents, you know, uh, thinking about helping their children, but also there's an emotional toll. What do you think, Lydia? Well, the, I think the thing is, how do you get them fully prepared? And is it actually even possible to get your kids fully prepared for it? You know, so I'm dying to hear from the parents as, uh, and also from Natalie. So I just wanted to say how this show in particular came about because there's a brand new uh, Facebook page where parents are really supporting each other uh, when their children have just gone to university. We can ask Carolyn about it in a moment. And I came across it. It was established by a lady called Karen Kennard, who can't be here tonight. And I thought we would mention what an amazing initiative she started on Facebook and elsewhere. She set up something called the Scholarship Hub six years ago ago when her eldest son was applying to university and it was only after he received his offers they started getting information on scholarships they hadn't previously even known had existed. So when she started looking into it, there were lots and lots of opportunities and she wanted to share that information with parents. So she created the Scholarship Hub, which is a free online database which brings together all the scholarships offered to undergraduate and postgraduate students for UK and EU students to study at a UK university. Isn't that an amazing initiative? Since starting that, both of her boys have now gone through university and she realised a lot parents carry so much of the financial burden and then she set up something called Funds for Uni. That's F-U-N-D-S number four uni in partnership with Easy Fundraising. And that's another amazing website that provides a way for students and their families to generate donations to 
their university funds through their online shopping. So sadly, Karen Kennard cannot be here, but doesn't she do amazing things? And there's already two websites to signpost parents to. So she sets up the Facebook group uh, for parents uh, supporting each other uh, just as a way to provide support and advice uh, to help each of us all understand what, what is this university application process and what does it look like? So on the back of that, we've invited uh, Natalie in tonight, who's going to answer all of our amazing questions. And Natalie, uh, just to give everybody some background, she is, well, she's many things, but she's an accredited coach, a member of the Association for Coaching, Secretary of the British Psychological Society Special Group on, on Coaching Psychology. Uh, she runs a consultancy called the Educational Guidance Guru. She specialises in career coaching, university guidance for young adults, drawing on various roles and is the author of a, a book I definitely going to buy called Getting Into Oxford and Cambridge. Ooh, I want to read that book. And Natalie is finishing her doctorate in psychology, which we'll ask her about later on at Birkbeck in London. And that uh, research is very, very relevant to what we're talking about this evening in terms of supporting young people in their personal growth. So we're going to talk to Natalie. Natalie, we'll bring you in first. Sure. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming. And when I uh, highlighted the fact that you were coming in this evening, we had a few, you know, lots of parents' questions submitted. And I wanted to start with, first of all, a question about choosing subjects for university, choosing A-levels mm -hmm. and the sort of the strategies that may parents may want to think about imparting uh, to their children uh, at that particular delicate time. And in relation to choosing A-levels, the first question we had from a parent is if a lower six student takes four A-levels until the end of Easter term of lower sixth, do they get UCAS points? It sounds like a mastermind question, doesn't it? <laughs> um, well, the answer is no, they don't. You only get UCAS points for um, subjects that you actually get a qualification for. So if you don't sit an exam, um, you get nothing, I'm afraid. Um, so actually, some schools do have a policy. Um, it's very much at the local level of schools. And sometimes there's not that much you can do about it unless you are a vociferous parent which I encourage all of you to be um, because I don't think it's a great idea to take four A-levels and then to drop one I think it's quite demoralizing I think you're just putting off a decision that you could make much earlier on and had you actually made the decision a bit earlier about what to um, what three to focus on I'm guessing you could get better grades and feel a bit more invested in it and also it would free up time to do very valuable things for your university application not least potentially doing something like an EPQ which is the extended project qualification or doing some outside interests that have nothing particularly to do with your subject but are very important for reducing stress and just developing as a person and there's other things of course like work experience which I think is very underplayed by the schools in general in the UK um I can go on for hours about that. But so the short answer is no, unless you get the certificate, it's not worth anything. Now, you've mentioned those extracurricular activities, but this parent says, how many UCAS points can one get for Lambda grade eight? And do any universities offer points for completing Duke of Edinburgh gold? So they sound like very valuable extracurricular things. OK, so here's the bad news. Oh. Um I, you know, maybe I should start with the good news, but I am going to go for the jugular here and I'm going to go for the bad news. So the Russell group of universities, which are arguably the top universities in the UK, uh, based on what you say, and it is a self-selecting group, but pretty much um, that includes Oxford and Cambridge, all the London ones you've heard of, like King's College, UCL, um, Edinburgh University, Birmingham, etc., etc. You can Google which ones they are. They don't deal in points. Points are not the currency in which they trade, if you will. They trade in grades. So you can get as many lambda grades as you like, but it's not going to count for anything, I'm afraid. So 
um that is the bad news i don't want people to think however that they shouldn't be pursuing these extremely interesting and growth promoting um activities you know i have students um come to me who are so good at public speaking because they've done lambda they've got a lot of confidence and for universities that interview so that's oxford and cambridge but also for subjects like medicine which is all across the board um these public speaking skills, for example, or confidence um, gained from other activities will shine in the interview and it's the interview that gets you the place. So they're important, but not in terms of points. And what about other subjects like ballet or b- piano exams? Do any of those count for the Russell Group? Yes. So, um, oh, sorry, not for the Russell Group, but I don't want to only talk about the Russell Group, but I will just answer that question head on. So... Um, I think the important thing to say is that only if you have grade six, seven or eight for the uh, music, um, that is worth specific points. So non-Russell Group universities, of which there are plenty and they're excellent, and it might be that some are better than some Russell Group universities for for specific subjects. And I just wanted to say that for Lambda, as an example, going back to the drama, is that um, if you got... Um, something like a, a distinction um, that is going to be worth at grade eight 30 points Good and, grief. and to put that into perspective for you getting a c at a whole a level so two years work is worth 32 points <gasps> really? so um you know right, where are those lambda lessons <laughs> lydia is that lambda or piano I, that one music. was lambda, lambda but um piano is it's all sort of googleable um you can find out what the number i don't have the points to hand of how much um you get for grade six seven and eight for instruments but please understand this is only for universities who um, sort of count tariff points. These are called tariff points. Um, and as I said, you know, a, a great swathe of universities don't actually use this system at all. So we're just going to pause there, Natalie, with this amazing information. I'm going to bring in our resident parents. Uh, Carolyn, welcome to Hello. the show. Welcome, Dave. Hi. Just to bring you in there, uh, it sounds for parents who aren't in this stage so scary and confusing tariff points and AUKUS points, whatever, you know, UCAS points, sorry. You know, what's your sort of response to it, Natalie, saying, does this bring back good or bad memories? Well, um, the the UCAS point system, um, initially when we started looking at universities, I got very excited. My daughter did grade six, seven and eight ballet. So she scored very highly on the UCAS points, got very excited, thought she'd already almost got an A-level in the bag. Um, we were a little disappointed to find out that they, like Natalie said, they don't really count for certain universities. Um, I would have liked someone like Natalie to have been able to advise us at the time as to how they where we could have used them because it was all a little bit confusing. Carolyn, at what point would it have been helpful to have had that advice when your child was 15, 16, 17? Um, Probably around the time they were choosing their A-levels, which should be Mm -hmm. in year 11, Mm -hmm. would have been Mm -hmm. quite useful. Uh, We were also quite surprised to see that things like Duke of Edinburgh didn't actually carry points um, when we knew the incredible amount of um, work that's involved in gaining those awards. But we were advised that you you might not, they might not carry the points, but you use that in the personal statements. And that's, so they are still worth doing these things. So shall we dwell a little bit on personal statements? Like, so Natalie, tell us how important are they? Um. Interestingly, they're less important than they used to be. There's a lot of evidence to say that they aren't actually being read by a lot of universities. There is a lot of um, difference and, and variance between uh, departments within one within the same university. So one department may well rely on them and another one might actually not bother using them at all because they're inundated with so many applicants. It's just not practicable to, to do that. Um, so having said that, since that is not readily available information i think it's really important to make a um to do the best statement you can i do have some tips about that when you're ready i'd love to know what our parents think about that did you know that potentially some universities don't even look at the personal statements i'm i'm quite disappointed by that because <laughs> like my son put in a lot of effort i mean spent over maybe 2 weeks you know 
putting a, a lot of effort in filling in the personal statement. And I went through it with him and correcting where I felt he could change the, the wording. And, and we were putting in all the Duke of Edinburgh, the, the fact he did the oboe and stuff. And we felt that would make a difference. So we yeah, found it quite disappointing they don't. But, you know, he did get three unconditional offers. So, you know, maybe maybe it did have some impact. Natalie, what do you what do you have to say to Dave? Um I'm afraid it probably didn't. Um, so this is my advice about um, personal statements, backed up by you know other uh, well by admissions um, tutors as well. That 85 percent of the statement needs to be about the subject and why you want to study it. You know, not about the oboe and all that sort of thing. And things that could go in there are books you've read about the subject, lectures you've gone to, school societies you've gone to, news items that are relevant. And all this um, information is very, very directed at the subject you're applying for. The last 15% can be all that stuff about the Duke of Edinburgh and the oboe and all that. And that's showing that you've got outside interest and that you are a rounded person. I'm not even sure people read to the end to be perfectly honest so i wouldn't ever do something like duke of edinburgh solely for the purpose of a form so natalie what i'm taking from that is we uh, it sounds like we have to just focus on on the grades as, as much as we can and the passion for the subject that they're applying for and i'm i'm concerned that parents all over the country are thinking duke of edinburgh we're in you know we're done mm-hmm. duke of edinburgh we've got a gold we're in when actually it's a much more they want to hear that academic um passion for that subject whatever it yeah, is yeah and i think you know all our time is finite and i know um duke of edinburgh gold and and all the rest of the things talking about gobbles up a, a huge amount of time and actually I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying think about your time as being finite and think about what you want to do. You know, if you want to do the activities in, in Duke of Edinburgh because you enjoy that, then please do it. If you can't think of anything worse than going on an expedition, don't do it. Do something else with your time, something of value that you're going to enjoy. And, you know, part of this, I, I encourage my students to find their own personal proje- uh, project, you know, not sort of one that's been packaged up, but something that you know they say to me you know what i'm interested in physics i'm really interested in black holes i'm like okay you know let's let's go and think about you know can you go and um listen to a podcast about that even better can you make a podcast about that and i help students think think these things through that's incredibly valuable and especially considering what you said i'd say it's a real open it's worth 15 percent. these extra um things that's the extra activities so it's really you know very very helpful for parents and natalie also differentiating oneself these days everyone does duke of edinburgh i always thought that maybe just intuitively but i don't know that if you differentiate yourself you do something special like the oboe is quite a special instrument if they have an interview for university it's something interesting to talk about I personally would rather interview someone who does beekeeping than who's captain of the rugby team because I think it's interesting. And is it is it important to be, you know, to, to stand out at all in that personal statement? It is, but I don't think it's through those activities. I think someone who has, sta- who has stood out because they've engaged with literature or, or books outside of their s- school curriculum, that's standing out and having like a, an analytic, an analytical comment about it that is like a real standout thing epqs are a real standout thing because you know the student can write several thousand words on a topic that they're really interested in did did either of you parents do you know what the, about these epqs were your parents doing them carolyn well we did know about them my daughter decided not to do one because she um chose to concentrate on her three a levels and get the best grade she could um she uh, we do understand the value of them um she um she was also keen to keep pursuing her hobbies like her ballet because she felt for her mental health as well that it's um you know very good and very healthy to do to do other activities she found that very relaxing and a break from the studying um but yeah the um exactly what natalie says the i think it became very obvious to us that the it's the grades that that matter their final grades of the a levels dave what's your experience i mean we we got our son to focus very much on the a levels 
you know, and and, and not um, focus on the EPQ. I mean, the, in terms of the oboe for the personal statement, it's only a minor bit. We did very much focus on um, making the personal statement aimed at the subject he wanted to study. And so he did do a lot of other stuff that was around related to physics and mechanics. And so, you know, was very much um, customised that way. But I am slightly disappointed to realise that the personal statement doesn't really count that much. I mean, Dave, I you wasted a weekend there. You could have been down the pub. <laughs> right. And you'll never get it back. <laughs> Natalie, do you want to come in there? Well, I think, um, I mean, some some courses and universities are very clear that the personal statement does um, count. So, for example, for medics, um, universities will be very clear to say that, um, you know, particularly university, it's worth 20% of the score that so so for medicine students are scored based on their BMAT and UCAT um, aptitude tests which are exams they do especially for medicine they're scored on their GCSE results they're scored on um, their personal statement so don't don't for a moment think I'm saying it's not important it is important but we are I don't think it's right we're in the dark I, I really feel like universities should be very open and say look we're not we're not going to read it because if if there are lots of courses who aren't reading it, I would like to know. And they don't publish that information at all. Natalie, you've mentioned GCSE, so I wanted to go back a little bit to a parent question. A lot of parents are still, you know, you know in, in, reeling from GCSE results in August, and and some of them uh, have expressed uh, some of the students have been disappointed in some of their results. So one parent um, suggested she, her daughter got a, a grade four in English language I GCSE. They know she can do better. They don't want to pressurise her, but should they be encouraging? Should we encourage our children to read? sit uh, a GCSE when when you're saying how important they are English and maths 100 percent so um, all when you apply for university um, or when you go on the websites of the universities I should say there is a tab set that says entry requirements per subject and actually they almost all give a specific grade necessary not only for the A levels which we all know about but for the English and maths GCSE as well and you can have the best you could get three A stars at A level but if a specific course says you need a grade five and a grade five seems to be the minimum for the top universities, Russell Group, um, if you haven't got that grade five in English, even though you've got the A stars at A level, the, 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 the application stops there. Well, pre-grading, it, you had to get a, a B, a, sorry, a B in GCSE maths to do postgraduate work in Britain. So, you know, it's always been quite important, hasn't it? Dave, do you want to come in? Yeah, I just wanted to know, do you have to do a language as well at GCSE no. to get into Russell Group? Because I think we were advised that you needed a language for Russell Group. And right, my son um, did that, but that, maybe that's old information then. No, it's, it was never the case. Um, what it was is that um, the... I, I um, know the... So the Vice Provost of UCL um, is a professional um, colleague of mine. And I asked him about this because the UCL website did say that you needed a language at GCSE. And I, you know, we had some conversation about this. And what he said was, if they haven't got a GCSE um, in a language, they will be required to take some language modules at university. It isn't that you can't get in. It was very misleading. And in fact, I think they've changed their their information because it was so misleading. But why would they do that? Why do they have the right to tell a university student that they need to learn a language? Well, um, all the universities are completely autonomous and UCL has a policy of being a, or an ambition, which it is already, of course, to be a global university. And I don't think you can be global if you don't value languages. Um, so that is, you know, they're at liberty to decide whatever they want, basically. And, you know, you, they don't, you don't have to be examined in the language. You simply have to take some modules in the language. Are there particular GCSEs that are highly valued by, say, the very, you know, the higher echelons of universities? Um, it's funny. I, it's hard to answer. So it's, it's one of those yes and no answers, I'm afraid. Um, so I think as a rule of thumb, um, and this is like an absolute generalisation and it will not suit everybody, but I would always try and do a humanity, a language and some practical type of subject. And practical could mean art, DT, music or computer science um, because that gives you a breadth not because universities want that but 
the children are so young at that point that when they're making the the GCSE decision in year nine, um, they won't know what A-levels they want to do. So if they keep it broad, they're keeping more options open for the A-level choice. Right. That, that, that makes complete that makes sense. total sense, yeah. doesn't um, it? And it's kind of what we were, what we were told when we were going to university, keep it as general as you can during secondary school so that you can kind of have a broader pick when you go, when you go to university. So we've got one last parent question, then we're going to move on to the sort of the, the, um, the parent journey a little bit. Okay. Are universities still unsure? Uh, this parent asks, Ray, this new grading system for GCSEs, as some have listed, unspecified for English and math. So there seems to be a little bit of ambivalence about which universities want particular grades. It's not that there's ambivalence as such. No, they completely understand the new system. Um, it's that different universities, because they're so autonomous, there is no one size fits all. So they literally make it up. So, um, you know, one university might say they want um, a level six in maths. One might say they want a level four. Sometimes they put the old terminology in brackets, you know. So you sort of have to be very specific, it sounds like, and really research the universities you're going for. Dave, tell us a little bit how your lovely son, Josh, ended up where he is and how you went about choosing it. Right. Well, we had a strategy. We we started off by trying to figure out what was his, his dream universities or the the ones where if he worked really hard, which ones could he get into? And we went and visited those and also visited my university. So, um, you know, at least see where I went. But that was helpful because actually it, I went to Liverpool University and he didn't like the city university. So he, he he much preferred a campus university. So then going forward, we only looked at the campus universities because they seemed to be a lot more sociable. It was all closer together. With the city, you seem to be far more spread out. And, and actually, I was quite jealous. I think I should probably come to a campus university. I think you can it. still go, Dave. You can <laughs> still go. Um, so we picked the ones, his aspirational ones. Then um, we then had to set about thinking about, well, okay, if you get your predicted grades, what university would that be as opposed to the aspirational? Um, and that was Ox Oxford Brooks. And then um, we picked some universities where we hoped to get some unconditional offers. So that if everything went wrong in the exam time, then we had some insurance, right, um, insurance choices at the end. And, um, luckily what happened was that actually Oxford Brooks came back with an unconditional offer for him, which I felt was down to his personal statement, but obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> and but, it, sorry, is that where Josh ended up? It's where he ended up. So he, he got, he didn't get better than his predicted grades. Yeah. So yeah. But you so, had lovely strategy there. But didn't we, we? Well, we had the strategy that, well, I've been told wouldn't have worked to a certain extent. We, we put Oxford Brooks, Oxford Brooks first because that made it unconditional. And then we, um, had another university second. And the idea was that if he got better grades, we'd try and work out through the clearing system. But it sounds like maybe that wouldn't have been, I mean, it's a bit of a dark arts, this, how this clearing system works and whether you do better than expected. Can you upgrade? Can you move up? And I understand maybe that might not have worked. I'd, I'd love to know what Natalie has to say about this and about predicted grades in general. Okay. Um, I'm not a fan of predicted grades. I think there's much too much power in the school because if they don't predict, um, and I've seen this happen for political reasons and, you know, quite unethical reasons. Um, if they don't predict the advertised offer, uh, so, so let's say university website says you need three A's and they're like, oh no, I'm going to predict the student AAB. They're not going to get an offer from that university, but they might have got three A's and they've really, you know, dented this child's chances, A, of going to that university and B, you know, their whole life potentially. So it's too much power in the school, which is probably, um, a, you know, a controversial thing to say. Um, and then you asked me about, um, adjustment and clearing. So, the problem is, is that adjustment has never really worked that well. Um, so clearing, I think a lot of listeners may be familiar with, which is when you don't make your grades um, come August, and then you sort of see what places are left um, that universities haven't filled because other people haven't made their grades so they're vacant. And then you sort of scramble around, give them your grade. You, you know, this, this is how unimportant personal statements are, by the way, because no one even mentions the statement word come clearing they just say what what are your grades and if you if you mm. have the advertised grades you get it if you don't you don't so you know we, we actually stop pretending personal statements are important at that point um and i so think the emphasis is still on the grades. it's only on the point. grades and so i think you asked me a bit earlier um about 
you know how do you choose a subject it's about your strengths you must yeah. play to your strengths at a level always play to your strengths and carolyn tell us a little bit about your daughter's application process thought processes on entry okay. to uni right well we um did i actually got an older friend who had more recently gone through the experience um and who had done a similar similar subject at degree to help her because at that stage I was feeling a bit overwhelmed by the whole um, the whole thing. They did a checklist which they ranked. They went through all of the offers, the um, the course entry requirements, listed them, and then like um, like David's son, they kind of looked at, at preferences of campus universities, city universities, um, and got it down to about the top. I think top eight. Um, and look to see if those uh, those universities were actually were actually achievable um, compared to her predicted grades. Um, from that, she chose her. She we went on the visit days basically based on that. Um, now her situation was a little bit different to um, to David's son. She actually uh, exactly got her predicted grades for every subject. So, but I think that is. That was quite unusual, but it, it worked out really well for her because she had a very good idea of where she was going to able to go. Um, where we got, where it got a little bit confusing for us was that, um, she got offered, um, an unconditional scholarship at a university, but it wasn't really her favorite university and it made the decision very, very hard. She took the gamble and gave up that unconditional scholarship to go for the university she really wanted which was Leeds and for her it, it worked and paid so off. So that's an example of following your heart, following your... And your intuition I yeah. suppose. Intuition. About it. But it was a very very hard decision and my heart sank when she went first when she first told me she was going to do that because I then knew we'd got a very pressured couple of months coming up. Was it a whole, how many months was it in between the two? When she gave that up was um, yeah probably about, it was probably two, three months um, and that was quite, yeah, I had, you know, my heart was sort of in my mouth through and that period. So do, how do you feel about predicted grades then? I mean, you had a better experience um, than the average. I thought the predicted grades were very accurate and, um, and I, you know, I was very happy with the way they played out for her, but I have heard, um, other stories that's not, that aren't quite, um, that, you know, haven't been quite as, um, successful or have limited the opportunities for the children and as Natalie said rightly so if a child outperforms they might have missed opportunities um, that they they could have gone for and of course schools don't know everything I mean they can't like it, it's such a gamble predicting grades it feels like as an outsider I'm, I'm not near that part of the process my children are still in in primary school but it just but the teacher has so much power yeah i mean so much power and sometimes children teachers don't know your child as well as perhaps they think they do or they might be a dark horse in the classroom well, and might be much better at academic um you know exams i just want to move the conversation a bit further on in terms of the emotional I was going to use the word toll. Is that a, a big word for you, Carolyn? The emotional toll of, of your child? Both, I want to ask you both about what it feels like to drop them off. We've seen all the images of those packed cars mm -hmm. on Facebook. What does it feel like for them to go? Um, what does it feel for, like for them or for, for, you? for us? Let's start with you. Okay, I did a little um, straw poll here of um, a few of my... Um, I, I have a fresher's mum's whatsapp group um which has been fantastic really sort of helped us um all go going through the same thing um the words that they use ask them to sum up the whole process in one word were intense stressful frustrating overwhelming time consuming but overall very exciting wow <laughs> there was about seven negative words before you <laughs> before you hit exciting um, can you tell us a little bit more about the negative what was what was the scoop um, it was, it was a very, very long, the, the whole process uh, was very long, it's about three years from start to finish, I think, for the whole process, but the actual dropping them off weekend, um, it wasn't as bad as I expect, as it not, as emotional as I expected. Um, we, we took the choice to do it over, um, the weekend and stay up there because it was a reasonably long distance. I think that made it a lot easier because when we dropped her off on the Saturday, we weren't doing our final goodbyes. Mm. And then we said, we'll, mm. we'll see you on Sunday if you'd like to, um, if there's anything you'd like us to get sort out for you. Um, took her out for lunch. We'd already, um, uh, we, she'd already had her first night in uni. 
and mm. it, it it made it we all went up it was quite an experience trying to get four people and all everything into the car um but it was good and i think it was good for my younger daughter to um also see where she's going to be that's it's, lovely isn't we, it? exactly we were talking about goal setting on the show last week and it, it serves as a possible goal setting experience for mm. your younger daughter mm, definitely dave what was it like for you i mean you you do feel there's a bit of a loss in in a sense because he's he's growing up you know he's now an adult you're moving your relationship is moving from an authoritarian type relationship to more of a confidant advisor you know and that's what he's you know he's phoned up a few times about a few things which he wouldn't necessarily have discussed before and you know you had that parent-child relationship and it's matured i think i mean i have lived apart from my family for when i was working overseas so i'm sort of used to being apart but you know he's only an hour and 10 minutes away i'm and within the first three days, I had to go up to fix his phone because <laughs> his mobile phone wasn't working properly. Oh, I love phone. it. I love so, it. So, you know, I had to pop up that night, you know, the Wednesday night and spend an hour up there fixing his computer and but, phone and then come back down. So it's sort of, it doesn't oh, feel that far away from him. That's, know, so, but so. isn't that great? I mean, that sounds like so, my dream scenario. Something goes wrong, I can just jump in the car and drive up. But and listen, look, listen to our, this generation, no. they have phones, yeah. they have Skype, yeah. they have FaceTime, yeah. they can show you around the room. Yeah. Years ago, nobody had any yeah. of that. Surely that eases the stress. And we survived, didn't we? You know, we all packed our bags and there was, yeah. you know, putting coins into a phone box to call home and, you know. BT the, phone cards. Yeah, exactly. BT phone. You see, you're more snazzy than And now with the iPhone, we know exactly where they are. Yeah. When exactly. when That's right. That's right. <laughs> Don't tell back, Josh back that. He's listening. He's going to know you're tracking him. Actually, he's taking us off find my iPhone. Oh. Well, we pay the bill. I've got to get make sure he puts it back well on. Done. Oh, uh, yeah. Find my iPhone. But Parent 360, isn't that the, isn't that the yeah. app to get? Yeah. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, his oh, son's yeah. listening. We'll tell him that after. Maybe, <laughs> maybe don't. Um, Lydia, I want to say to you, as we've got young children, obviously 10, 12, 13. What do you worry about in terms, when you think of university? Because the first thing I think about is alcohol consumption. This, the, 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 what they're going to be doing at university, the parties. Maybe I'm just reflecting on my own experience. I, what I, do you think? Well, yeah. I feel more, I suppose, the, the kind of setting themselves up the independence. Well, I suppose making it to lectures, making mm. sure they know and getting through the first year because it's such, it's such a litmus test, isn't it? Natalie, what, what did, would you um, like to say about it? Well, I um, am nearing the end of my PhD and that is actually what I've been studying. Um, and you're both right, basically. So, um, you know, the concerns of students when they start university, you know, they do have to get used to the organisational arrangements, you know, literally where are the different buildings, particularly, you know, they're so spread after, over such a wide area. Um, interestingly, in my sample of students, which was um, 22, um do you know, none of them were big drinkers. Um, you know, I got quite deep into it with them. And there was, there is this stereotype, of course there is, about the drinking and drug taking. And do you know, they all said to me, sort of like admitting it a bit sheepishly, they said, do you know what? Um, Freshers Week is meant to be this whole, um, getting drunk and everything, but actually, we're just having cups of tea in our room with our friends and we kind of like it. And they were all, I said, guess what? You're all saying it. It's not abnormal. It's completely normal. And I think, um, this idea of, I think actually these days, because we are so much more culturally aware about other people, I'm not sure this thing about drinking yourself silly at university goes on as much as when I was at university. Yeah. I mean, there is a lot of, a lot of evidence that this generation of children are just not drinking as much as their parents, never mind when their parents for students so you and there's know, yeah. also evidence they're the most unhappiest so maybe there's <laughs> I need to start drinking then yeah, oh, I just, oh, I just, oh, the, the point oh, is oh. that they I think parents worry about everything they worry about safety yeah. I would worry about safety and security I like the campus idea yeah. because I, I feel like it's, you know, you take a university like Bristol, a big sprawling city, Bristol. It's had terrible mental health statistics reported in the media. What have you got to say about the sort of the mental health element in those early days? Nothing. Yeah, I mean, that was really the focus of my research. That's why I sort of asked them these questions to start with. And um, to be fair, by the way, Bristol has just overhauled because of their terrible track record. They've completely overhauled their system. And I think that really is indicative of what's going on. I think, you know, you gave 
a, a statistic at the be beginning about how many young people are at university. And what's happened is there's a gap between um, the NHS and the university because the NHS say it's the university's responsibility to look after mental health. And the university is saying, why? This is mental health is an NHS issue. Why aren't you dealing with students? And what's happened is, typical NHS, is that because students often don't live um, they're at university somewhere different to where they are resident the rest of the year. Um, they sort of ca um, they get caught so that by the time the waiting list has has come up and it's their turn for some sort of therapy or treatment, they're already back at home and they can't go to therapy once a week, two hundred miles away. So students are getting a raw deal here, and um, I guess my research was all about looking into alternatives. And I'm as a coach myself, I looked into. Um, giving coaching to students I got a network of um, my my colleagues to do this over one or two years and my personal view and I think this is something that um, universities are finding out as well is that coaching perfectly healthy students may well nip in the bud issues that become um, the fodder for mental disorders because we all know how small things can get out of proportion particularly uh, without that family support network and of course people worry about having um, social support networks and just like making sure that people are really getting out and about and being sociable and parents just to bring you in here is that something that crossed your mind were you worried about mental health issues and well-being in general Dave yes I mean absolutely we were looking at that and one of the indicators I was trying to use and Natalie can probably correct me on this was looking at the dropout rate in the first year so I was looking you know with um, with um, Oxford Brooks, it's 4.4%. I think the average is around 6.5. We're trying to find, when we were looking at universities, ones that didn't have too high a dropout rate as a measure of, of how much the students were enjoying it. But I don't know whether there is a better measure to That's figure out how... That's a great tip, isn't it, Lydia? Absolutely. How health is assessed at universities. I mean, the universities do talk about it when you visit them, but you can't really gauge whether they're really interested. Um, universities... Um are very shortly going to be forced to publish um, statistics about how many people um, they have going to counselling, um, what sort of provision they provide. That information is not out there now and they do it on a voluntary basis, but I understand, um, although all this is obviously subject to, to change, that um, they are actually going to have to give you that information. Um, I think the thing about dropout rates, and this is... Um, I think an important point that some dropout rate is positive, if you know what I mean. So w what I mean is if someone drops out because it wasn't the right course for them and then they went and did another course, that's like a really positive thing. So dropout rates obscure whether it was like a negative thing or a positive thing. There is no data that says they dropped out for positive reasons or they dropped out because they didn't make any friends. So you can only make a sort of a, a, an assumption that may or want, may... Yeah, I wouldn't even want to make an assumption incorrect. on that. Um, okay. I'm someone who changed subject myself. So like I know that I dropped out of my first course and changed to something I was much much happier in. For positive uh, reasons. And I think yeah. that is a positive... That for me was 100% positive. So I just want to we've we've uh, this show always goes very very quickly i want to focus on the practical aspects carolyn mm -hmm. give us your five best tips if our kiddies are off to university what is it that you have learned you'd like to pass on to the good people of Hertfordshire? Okay, start really, really early with your uh, research. Um, How many years early? Three years early. <laughs> Primary. Um, certainly start visiting, even if you don't want, if you, you're not ready to go to open days, start going to towns that you think they might be interested in, um, even if it's just a quick visit in a half term or summer holidays. If they've seen the town, they know what you're talking about. Um, I was quite surprised uh, the lack of general UK um, geographical knowledge amongst a lot of the children that they, they travel to far off places abroad but they're not that they're not that clued up on what Manchester's like what Liverpool's like um, so do a little bit of do a little bit of touring around the UK um, practical tips um, make sure uh, start packing their things early um, try and get them involved um, in that because it is going to take you can't all do it all in the last few days um, don't this is a personal one don't let them get a night shift job just before they go to <laughs> university 
My daughter won't like me saying that. (laughs) Not good. They need to be, they're going to be very tired um, just before they go to university, when when they get to university with Freshers Week. Try and make sure they're a little bit rested. It's very hard. They want to go out with their friends that they're leaving. Um, They want to do some work, but uh, it's it's a very, very intense couple of weeks when they first get to university. Carolyn, how much contact is that what is the right level of contact? Should you be ringing them every night in those first two weeks, texting them? I think be led by them, but um, I think we've had daily contact, but it's been a lot of it's just been texting, uh, not not sort of long phone calls. Um, let them get on with it. Um, they will they will call you about practical things that um, well, I had a call today about the printer. It wasn't working. <laughs> wasn't working properly. You'll certainly get called about things like that. Um, Wouldn't you be sorry if you weren't called? Yeah, it's yeah. quite nice to still be needed. Yeah. It's nice yeah. to know that they start to appreciate what you've done for them. <laughs> Dave, have you got any practical tips there? No, but I mean, the thing I would have thought about if I was redoing it is maybe focused on how to pick a course. Because initially he wanted to do physics, and it's only when we went around the universities and we started looking at other departments that he said, okay, I'm going to do mechanical engineering, because we went and did a tour on that. And I think we should have probably done that a bit earlier and, and really investigated what other choices would work with his A-levels. Mm. But he initially thought always oh, physics, because I don't think he'd really thought outside the box about apart from anything else. And uh, so, this might come back to what Natalie said about doing a bit of work experience instead of, maybe instead of the Duke of Edinburgh, get them like a factory that's producing something I, I don't know does that make sense Natalie um I think we've got to be careful here because remember when you do a degree you don't have to do a job that directly relates to the to your degree in fact most people don't so there's nothing wrong in studying mechanical engineering and never being a mechanical engineer you know the skills are so transferable you'll be very sought after in any sector so it's not so much for me about the work experience although I'm the biggest advocate of work experience for life experience you know how can you know you want to be an accountant or lawyer if you haven't done that you know you might want to be an explorer so you absolutely do need to do work experience but for me about the subjects it comes much earlier than that I like to see students when they're 14 because um, you know let's say you did want to do mechanical engineering and you hadn't chosen the right subjects for that at A level because you do need physics and maths and you might have thought oh you know I'll just do physics and I'm not doing the maths it might be the written off that that whole degree so i like to catch them very early i do all this exploration with them uh one-to-one it makes sense i have to say because obviously what you pick at gcse feeds into what you're going to do at a level so why wouldn't you start it at gcse and people always say they're too young to choose but to be honest everybody knows what they like i think at that age like they, they know what they're kind of good at what they're not so good at they have a rough idea yeah And also, you can't choose a subject you don't know exists. You know, I think my role is saying, go through the A to Z of all the subjects at a big university and just find out what there is to study. You know, if they will not know what anthropology is or what, you know, audiology is potentially. That's right. So I think on in the spirit of uh, getting young people to practice their skills, you know, before they go off to uni, I was caught by a sort of a, a an advert I saw today for the pop-up com- pumpkin patch uh, near Harpenden, where young people have been asked to come and, and, and farm the land, get the pumpkins out of the ground. And I thought, now that is a brilliant thing to stick on that person's <laughs> Oh, what a great introduction. So for someone studying biology, I'd start the pumpkin patch experience really opened my eyes to dot 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 so you know we have to bring it back to basics and i think there are so many opportunities in hertfordshire certainly for for young people to do tons of different things go and pick the strawberries if you don't want to pick the pumpkins so we're going to be speaking to alex from the pop-up pop pumpkin patch in a minute in about 30 seconds welcome to the show alex from the pop-up pumpkin patch that's quite hard to say how are you alex here, thank you. It is a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? It certainly is. Well, you've got four minutes to tell us all about uh, what's what you're wanting all the lovely young people of Hertfordshire, how how they can contribute uh, to the picking up pumpkins. Okay, so our pop-up farm, is, we hold a series of pop-up events. So we have sunflowers and sweet corn. And coming up in October, you're right, is our pick-your-own pumpkins and squashes as well. So there's some edible ones there too. 
and uh, we're just really trying to encourage people to um, get outdoors with their families um, and reconnect with where their food's coming from and the environment and also with their families because it's just such a great place to be um, out and about with your family. So, And yeah. Alex, how difficult is it to pull a pumpkin out of the ground? I'm thinking I really, this is like on my list of things to do before you're 50 and one of them is, <laughs> is getting a pumpkin out of the ground. Is it tricky? So pumpkins aren't like potatoes. They don't grow under the ground. They grow above the ground. Okay, so that's my so, first learning. That's so embarrassing. It's actually a lot easier than you expect. So, so what we do is we've got a whole big um, field of pumpkins and squashes. We've got 22 varieties. And people can just come along, grab one of our um, amazing wheelbarrows, and wheel it around our patch and go and find their biggest, best pumpkin or their brightly, bright-coloured pumpkin or whatever they want to find. So, Alex, my children's son has a uh, my children's school has a pumpkin competition every year. Oh, Can I okay. win it if I find that there's the biggest pumpkin? Where's the biggest pumpkin in I, the patch? I, I definitely <laughs> think that's cheating. <laughs> I don't think that's cheating at all. No. So we've got some real monsters at our patch this Ooh. year. We've got a big patch under the woods where they're grown really big. Um, so we've got a special trail just for monster pumpkins. Um, so I think you should come along and yeah, it's not cheating. You would have picked it yourself, so it's okay. Make her make her pick fifty before you send her to the monster patch. Make, get her get her to do her work first, Alex. That's right. Well, we're open um, every week in October and in October half term as well until from the nineteenth. Alex, where are you? Is it Kinsborn Green? Yeah, near Kinsborn Green. So it's um, literally just off Junction Nine of the M1. Um, so sort of Flamstead area, um, very close to Harpenden, St Albans. Milton Keynes, even we get lots of people coming from London, um, all over the place people come and visit us. So nobody needs to go to an unnamed supermarket in the centre of Harpenden when you can go to the pumpkin patch to no. buy your pumpkin. How boring to find just all small orange pumpkins when you can come and find your own extra special pumpkin. Lovely. Well, we'll all be there in October at the weekend with our wheelbarrows and our wellies on. Thank you so much for joining us, Alex. That's okay. See you. Take Thank care. You. Bye. 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 Now, what does everybody think of that? Natalie, pumpkin picking for CVs, what do you think? Well, it's definitely got the wow and unique quality. <laughs> definitely interview material there. <laughs> and what about you guys? Have you, have you, Dave, are you concerned about where you're going to get your Halloween pumpkin from? No, but I, I'd like to use it for cooking. Or something like that. But no, I mean, yeah. I'll leave that. Julie normally goes out and buys them. But. So listen, thank you so much, all of you, uh, for, for coming in. Carolyn, thank you so much thank for sharing you. your amazing Pleasure. tips. Dave, well done. Uh, great to hear from you. And thank you so much. And Natalie Lancer, uh, who you can all hear from uh, via her website, which is nataliealancer.com. Thank you all for listening. And we're back next week with a show all about dads. So it's run by dads and all about dad's subjects. So mums, you feel free to listen in as well. Of course, we're not exclusive. So we'll be live next week between 8 and 9pm. Thanks for listening. The Parent Show is sponsored by Neve Solicitors. Neve Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk Neve Solicitors, your complete legal solution.